Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, My name is Peter Anderson. I'm the senior pastor at First Baptist Hanford, and we are excited that you're joining us today, wherever it is that you may be. Uh, It's a special weekend. We are celebrating Memorial Day this weekend, and so beyond the video that we showed earlier, just um, from me to you, um, if if you've served in the military, we thank you, but beyond that, for those of you um, who may be a spouse or a father or mother or or sibling, or aunt, or uncle, or whatever, of somebody who both served and died uh, for our American freedoms, uh, I just want to say thank you. Um, I come from a a long line of military family, um, and so it it means, it is not lost on me, um, the sacrifice that was put put forth for all of us. And so uh, from the bottom of my heart, I just want to say thank you. Um, As we transition, though, into the message today, uh, I want to make sure that you know this is actually our last weekend that we're going to be talking about the family. And we've covered a whole lot of ground in this series already. We've talked through um, God's original design for the family. We talked about uh, what it looks like to be part of uh, of the family of God. Uh, we talked about uh, how to raise kids. Uh, we talked about um, how to hand the baton of leadership off to the next generation and in turn, how to have your hand open if you are the next generation to run forward, uh, to be able to grab that baton cleanly. Uh, and then lastly, today, we get the opportunity uh, to talk a little bit about um, being being grafted in, being adopted into the family of God. And I really do think this is one of the most important pieces of understanding our role as a family. Uh, For me, when I graduated high school, um, I I moved out, I went to college, um, and outside of uh, coming home for the summer or uh, a couple weeks here and there while I was waiting for for an apartment to open up or something like that, I never really returned back home never really lived back home. But my family uh, is always something that is deeply uh, rooted into who I am. And so um, my mom and my stepdad, Lloyd, and uh, they, they are the most supportive and loving people. My brother and his wife and their daughter, uh, just supportive and loving people. Uh, you know, they're, they're grandparents to my kids, they're aunt and uncles to my kids. And so I will always have a deep tie to that family. As a matter of fact, every single Thanksgiving, we get together. And last Thanksgiving, we had over 40 of us uh, at my mom's house for Thanksgiving. And the vast majority of them stayed there. I mean, we were pulling up trailers and sleeping on the living room floor. I mean, it, it, it looked like the worst looking trailer park that you've ever been a part of. But our family was together. And that was important to us. See, I, 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 like I said, I have deep roots in my family and a deep love for them. But it really wasn't until Sarah and I began dating, uh, and and our first date for you Giants fans out there, our first date was actually to a Giants game. Uh, for you Dodger fans out there, the Giants lost four to one to the Phillies that day. Uh, but I went to pick up Sarah for our date, and it's the first time I'd ever been to her house or anything like that. And she was living at home at the time, and so I knocked on the door, and you know I had my hair slicked down and was looking sharp and all of that stuff. And uh, her brother opened the door. Now her brother's a strong, strong guy. Uh, and the first words out of his mouth were, so you're taking my sister on a date. And I felt really awkward. I felt incredibly uncomfortable because I didn't really know this guy. I didn't know if he had a sense of humor or not. And so I kind of 
laughed it off, shrugged it off. Ha yeah, I, I am. Is Sarah here? And then, you know, Sarah came out and, oh, you look pretty. Let's get in the car quickly so we can get away from him and the intimidating nature that he was putting forth. But as Sarah and I continued to date and as I continued to spend more and more time with her family, I truly began to understand what it meant to be actually grafted in to somebody else's family. You know, I felt uh, the love, I felt the security uh, that was a part of that, that regardless of where I had come from, even if my childhood would have been terrible, which it wasn't, but even if my childhood would have been terrible and I was coming in with excess baggage and all of that stuff, that I was being grafted into a family who both loved about me uh, and cared, cared for me. They didn't care where I had come from. Me being grafted in to the Bergstrom family has been a life-changing experience for me because their actions and words were both of love and adoption. Some of you have probably experienced the same thing, being grafted in to somebody else's family, right? Some of it good. Some of you have been grafted into your spouse's family and it's been great and you love your in-laws and you love your your new brothers and sisters and nieces and nephews and and all that stuff and it's great. For others of you, uh, it's probably been a bad experience. You've been grafted into a family that regardless of what you do, you can't get away from that family, right? The mother-in-law stereotype is there for a reason would be my assumption. And so for some of us, we've been grafted into a family that, hey, it's not such a good situation, but regardless, you have experienced it. And I will say, if you are listening today and you are somebody who would call yourself a Christian, then you have been grafted into the family of God as well. You may not even know it. You may not even kind of understand that verbiage unless you've really read through the book of Romans, this idea of being grafted into a family or grafted into a tree may be kind of odd to you. Um, But we have indeed been grafted in to the family of God. And it may not be as obvious because you don't have in-laws to deal with on a semi-regular basis or anything like that when you're part of the family of God, but you're part of the family of God regardless. God has indeed grafted each and every one of us into his family. And as we're grafted into his family, we get the opportunity to recognize that that joy comes from building that family and participating in that family and bringing more and more people into that family as we enjoy kind of the peace and joy of God and living for him. It's absolutely incredible. But some of us didn't even realize that regardless of your background, that regardless of your home life, regardless of where you've been, regardless of what you've done, that you've been grafted into the family of God the minute you were saved. And today I want, I want to talk a little bit about what our responsibility is to being in the family of God. I want to talk about the idea of, of being saved as well as being grafted into that family looks like. So in Romans 11, we see quite a bit about being grafted into God's family. And one of the things we need to understand about this passage, and you can follow along at home, grab your Bible, uh, flip open to Romans 11. We're going to get there in just a second. We're going to start in verse 11. Uh, but once we get there, you, you can follow along. But we need to understand about this passage before we jump in is that Paul is writing to uh, the church in Rome. Okay, and as he is writing this, many of the Israelites had already refused to embrace Jesus as their savior. See, what's going on is the Israelites for a long time, for hundreds and thousands of years, had been waiting for a savior from God because the Israelites were God's chosen people. 
And so they had been waiting and they had been waiting and they had been waiting. And then this guy, Jesus, shows up on the scene. And as Jesus shows up on the scene, uh, he's performing miracles. Um, he's bringing people back from the dead. He's teaching with authority. He's doing all of these things. And so some of the Jewish people are thinking to themselves, this is the guy. But ultimately, once Jesus had succumbed to death, and we know ultimately he was raised to life, but once he had succumbed to death, when they find out his humble beginnings of being born in a barn out in Bethlehem, from Bethlehem, like all of these different things, once they begin to find out about these things and they realize that the savior of the world, that this Jesus guy didn't come and flip over tables and overthrow the Roman government and do all these things, then they had quickly become disenfranchised with who Jesus was. And so because of that, a lot of the Israelites began to reject Jesus. And Paul is writing this letter to the church in Rome saying, hey, look, there's a whole lot of Israelites who are falling away. There's a whole lot of Israelites who actually don't believe in Jesus. And so because of that, church of Rome, you Gentiles, you guys, you are the ones who are now grafted into the family of God. If you haven't been around church for a long time or haven't read your Bible lately or anything like that, you may need to understand what the difference between a Jew and a Gentile is. Because according to the first century, there are two types of people. There's Jews and there's Gentiles. Here's how you know if you are, uh, which camp you fall into. If you're Jewish, you're not a Gentile. And if you are not Jewish, you are a Gentile. It's actually really simple to be able to figure out. So the Israelites at this point had for the most part rejected who Jesus was as savior of the world. And so now Paul is writing to Gentile people groups, anybody who is not Jewish at this point, and a lot of them belong to the church of Rome, saying, hey, look, you've been grafted into the family of God. So Paul focuses on the Gentiles and it picks up here in verse 11. It says this. It says that, again, I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? He's talking about the, uh, the Israelites at this point. Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. So in other words, look, hey, Israel is stumbling all over themselves. And because of the fact that Israel is stumbling all over themselves, this has actually provided an avenue for the Gentiles to come and be grafted into the family of God. It says, but if their transgression means riches for the world. So if the Israelites' transgressions means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? I'm talking to you Gentiles, and as much as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. Paul is saying here, look, if the Israelites, the Jewish people, if God is holy, then everything attached to that trunk is also going to be holy, right? Verse 17, if some of the branches have been broken off, he's talking about the Israelites who have fallen away, and you, though a wild olive shoot, again, talking to the Gentiles here, a wild olive shoot have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. Do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief and you stand by faith. 
do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. So in other words, you have been grafted in, but do not think of yourself as better than others because of the fact that you've been grafted in. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 22, it says, Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God. I love the tension that that holds, by the way. The kindness and the sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you will also be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? In other words, even though the Jews have currently rejected Christianity, at some point God is going to graft them back in. So everyone, regardless of their background, regardless if they're Jewish, regardless of if they're as, of regardless of if they are a Gentile, uh, their background is part of the same tree. They are part of the same family. All of us have been grafted into the family of God the minute that we were saved. All that to be said, we're all one family. Every single one of us. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your sins are. It doesn't matter how much money you make. None of that matters. All that matters is that there is room in the family, in the family tree for each and every one of us. And for some of us, that's difficult to process. For some of us, it's difficult to come to terms with because of how terrible you may feel about yourself regarding your sinful nature. Maybe regarding your past. Maybe you've made uh, yourselves promises. It says, hey, once, once I can uh, be sober for a week, then, then I'll, I'll, I'll come to the, the altar. Then I'll come to, to the feet of Jesus. Or once I, can, once I can cut down on my anger, that's when I'll be okay coming to Jesus. Or once I start yelling at my kids, or once I stop, uh, stop perusing in sexual sin, that's when I'll come to the feet of Jesus. Once I, once I, once I, and, and this passage says nothing about right living. It all, all it talks about is belief. And so we have to recognize that we have been rescued from the dominion of sin. That's what salvation is. Rescued from the dominion of sin, not of sinning. We are going to continue to sin. Each and every one of us will continue to sin, but we've been rescued from the dominion of sin. And as we believe, we are grafted in to the family tree at that point. But it's difficult for us to process. That's not the passage here. The passage here isn't once I get my act together, I'm going to be fine. Once I get my act together, then, then I'll come to the feet of Jesus. The message is, if you believe, you're welcome into the family tree. If you believe, you're welcome in the family tree. And we'll deal with our issues when you're part of the family. We'll deal with our sins as you're part of the family. And we'll deal with our messiness as we're part of the family. But Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And that includes every single one of us, regardless of our past, regardless of our history, regardless of our sin. I think too often we fail to remember uh, that we are a new creation. 
that we've been cut from the tree of sin and despair and we have been grafted into life. And so as we're grafted into the new tree, we still act like there is nourishment. We still act like the, that we aren't a branch of, of the new tree. We act like we're a branch of this, this old tree and we continue to go back to our sin like a dog returns to its vomit, as Proverbs says. And it's out of self-preservation oftentimes. It's out of fear oftentimes where all of this new and fresh and, and, and real and in order to become grafted into the tree, we have to be removed from the old tree. And in order for, to be removed from the old tree, man, there's some pain involved there. Recognize we have to be cut from the old tree. That some of the dead stuff has to be trimmed away. And that's painful. And that hurts. But we have to be okay doing that. It cuts deeply at our insecurities. It cuts deeply at our sins. It cuts deeply at our self-preservation. But as, as it gets grafted in and as it begins to heal, as nourishment flows, we no longer need to grasp onto the things that so easily ensnared us when we were part of a dead tree. It reminds me of a, uh, a story I heard. And uh, it's a fairly popular story, so you may have heard it in the past, but uh, the story uh, is essentially about two twins that were in an old Russian orphanage. And these twins were about three years old or so. And uh, there there were these, these parents, this family, this couple who was looking to adopt and hoping to adopt. And they were praying and they were praying and they were praying. And finally, a door opened for them to be able to adopt these twin brothers from Russia. And so the parents, they drive to the airport, they get on this airplane, they endure this, you know, crazy long flight. They wake up the next morning and they finally get to meet their new sons. And so they go and they drive and they drive and they drive to this orphanage. And the orphanage is dank and it's dark and it's gross. And they walk in and there's the two twins. And so they're playing with their twins and they're finalizing paperwork and they're doing all this stuff and it comes time for them to leave. And so they take the twins and the twins begin to to fight them. And so, you know, it's kind of, they're assuming, okay, it's kind of normal, just like anytime you try to drop off a kid at a location they're not super familiar with, kindergarten, for example, whatever it may be. And so like, okay, this is normal. We just got to keep moving. And so they, they move and they go outside and as they go outside, they realize that the twins are squinting. It's bright out. And the twins are just, like they're, they're doing, they, they are crawling. They're doing their best to kind of crawl back into the orphanage. And they're looking up at this sun that's in the sky. And, and they're, they're nervous. And they're moving away from everything that they've known. And slowly but surely, the dad begins to realize that, oh, these kids are afraid right now, partly because of the fact they've never seen the sun before. And so then they go and they get put into this machine, right? And they get strapped into these seats in this machine, which is a car. We understand they have no clue what it is, takes off. They start going 50, 60, 70 miles an hour towards the airport. And they're nervous and they're terrified. And they are reaching back towards the direction in which they came, back towards the orphanage. And then they get out of the car and they get to this airport and they get put into a big metal tube that's going to fly them for hours through the air all the way until they get home. And they're terrified and they get home and they finally start to relax and calm down and and, uh, realize that they have a bed 
to sleep in, a soft bed to sleep in. They realize that they have clothes to wear. But one of the things they're, you know, one or two months in and the, the dad begins to realize that the kids, as they are eating, as three and four-year-olds are, they would eat a little bit of food and then they would stuff some food down in the side next to where they were sitting in their chair and stuff the food in there and stuff the food in there. And so the dad then, of course, realized that the kids were worried that they weren't going to have a meal again after this. So they were saving some of their food as three and four-year-olds. That's obviously a, a stark contrast to where we're at. But the dad realized that even though that the life that they were providing was a better life, that they had clothes, that they had beds, they had security, they had food, they had toys, that because it was new to them, And because they had to be vulnerable regarding change, that they would have preferred the cold, dark tumult of the orphanage over their rich new life. In the same way, we too often prefer the cold, dark tumult of an orphanage rather than embracing our new life in Christ. Because we do the exact same thing. Right When we fail to realize that we have been adopted into the family of God and rather than doing the right thing and leaning into what God has for us, we continue to tow the waters and then run back to what we're comfortable with, even though what is offered by Christ is far greater. It's like the famous C.S. Lewis quote. It says this, it says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We have a vacation waiting for us. We have peace waiting for us. We have the God of the universe waiting for us to be part of his family, to accept that we have been grafted in, to accept that there is nourishment flowing to us. And rather than embracing our holiday at the sea, our adopted family, our new tree of life, whatever metaphor it is that you want to use, instead of doing that, we run and hide and are okay with half-hearted living, making mud pies in a slum because we don't understand what it means to be grafted into the family of God because we're not willing to take that extra step, to take that vulnerability and allow God to just work in our lives. The family of God is a scary place. And I say the family of God is scary because being part of the family of God calls you out of comfort and it calls you into living with both intention and on mission. There is no room for self-preservation because we are to die to ourselves daily as we call ourselves members of the family of God. It tells us that in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 and 26. It's an incredibly famous passage in the Bible. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Again, self-preservation is not on the table. It's saying, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. Verse 25, for whoever would save his life will lose it. Who would ever be concerned with self-preservation would lose his life. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
For what will it profit a man if he gains the world, the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? So what does that look like for you? When you're, when you're understanding the family of God, where are you in the recognition of your part in the family of God? You've been grafted in. Is that you? Or have you been someone who grafted in? Are you someone who is striving, though, for maybe the dead tree in which you came? That even though you've been grafted in, you're still trying to pull away? You're still allowing your sin, your fear, your self-preservation to, to dictate your steps? Is that you? Or have you resigned yourself to, fact, to the fact that there is a God, that God is bigger than you, that God is smarter than you, that God knows what is best for you, and because of that, you are going to let him actually be the Lord of your life? Maybe you're somewhere in the middle. But I think we need to come to the conclusion that we've been grafted into the family of God. And it's our responsibility to embrace that. Is it painful? Yes. Is it difficult? Yes. Is it scary? Absolutely. Is it good? So much yes. The church is called to be a spiritual family with each and every one of us accepting the roles that our God has given us so we can both deepen and widen the family of God as we both deepen and widen our love and faith that we have for and in Christ. That's our responsibility as his sons and daughters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we're, uh, we're thankful for today. We're thankful for this morning. God, I'm thankful for those who served and died on our behalf for our country. And God, today, as we talk about the idea of the family of God and being grafted in and that it can be scary God, that we are all one family, regardless of our background, regardless of our sin nature, regardless where we come from, that we are all one family. And you provide that nourishment to us, whether Jew or Gentile. God, that we've been grafted into your family. And so, Lord, I pray that we would act like it, that we would simply embrace that you're the nourishment that flows through us, that your son came to rescue us. And so because of the fact that he's come to rescue us and we are a part of his family, God, I pray that man, we would stop clinging to old trees, reaching, reaching back for the trees in which we came from, but fully embracing the vulnerability that comes with following you, cutting away the dead, consistently cutting away the dead so we can become more and more sanctified. And God, if there's people listening today who, who haven't yet come into the family of God, been grafted into the family of God, there's on their heart, they're feeling it today and saying, man, I, there's something more. I need to be living for something more. And this family of God thing, it sounds right. That they would just pray along with me. They would pray the ABC and say, Father, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I admit it, I reach for, for old trees. I reach for dead branches. I try to go back and I admit that, God. But I believe that there is a tree that provides nourishment that I can be grafted into. I believe that your son is that nourishment. 
that he is the one who is, is, is actively grafting people back in to the family from the dead tree, God. That you sent him to die on the cross for our behalf, on our behalf, so we can be reconciled to you forever. God, I believe that. And beyond that, I choose to follow you every single day. That I would continue to do my best to become more holy, to live for you, to listen to your spirit, to listen to your voice. Father, we love you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.